This is the Improve Photography Podcast, episode number 220. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a portfolio to showcase your work, a store to sell your products or services, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace gives you everything you need to make your next move a reality, including a free domain. Not to mention, with Squarespace's beautifully designed templates and customizable features, creating a beautiful website is a simple and intuitive process. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your first purchase. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Improve Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Harmer, and today I'm joined by Nick Page and Stephen Nolly. Hey guys. Hey. Thanks for having me. Well, I did an interesting survey on on Facebook, and I, I did it uh, both to the Facebook page and just our podcast group, but the numbers that we're going to look at today are just the listeners of this podcast. It's you guys, um, and there were just so many interesting tidbits, some things that I expected and some that I didn't. I do the survey about once a year, and I've done it for, I, I think, the last four years I've done it. And it's just interesting to see how things are changing and not changing over time. So let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into this. Uh, and first, I'm just going to give the numbers on, a, on one of these categories. And then I want to hear what you guys think and any impressions you guys have. First of all, I, I asked what, what brand of camera you shoot. And 43% of Improved Photography Podcast listeners shoot Canon. 33% shoot Nikon. 10% each goes to Fuji and Sony, and then Olympus, Panasonic, and Pentax each are 2% are or less. So 43 Canon, 33 Nikon, 10% each for Fuji and Sony. What did you guys think? I feel like the, the Canon Nikon thing doesn't surprise me too much. Canon has always been a very popular brand, but the Fuji Sony that's where I feel like this data is a little bit skewed <laughs> because they're listeners of this show. Because yeah, I think I think I expected more Sony shooters than Fuji for sure. But I think there's a lot of Fuji shooters out there because Jim Harmer is a Fuji shooter. <laughs> and the fact that the Fuji and Sony combined are only twenty percent. That's yeah, that's what's that's shocking crazy. to me. Yeah, yeah, that that was interesting to me. I also expected to see a little bit more from Micro Four Thirds, especially because I, I know they're passionate. Every time I say the words Micro Four Thirds on this podcast, I get emails. Uh, I know they're passionate, and the people that shoot Micro Four Thirds just love it, and that's awesome. Yeah. All, um, all, and it's, 40, all 45 Olympus shooters out there, <laughs> they just love their cameras. Yeah, Olympus is 2%, and Panasonic is 1%. Um, wow. And that's not, they're awesome cameras. I, I really do mean that. They're great cameras. Uh, but I was surprised to see that they're still such a small percentage because it feels like more because we hear about it so often. Mm -hmm. I, I really think that like if, you know, the entire camera using population was surveyed, I bet that that Sony number would be way, way higher. I um, agree. Yeah. It, yeah. Probably yeah. not up with Canon and Nikon, but I bet it's only going to be a few years before that number is right there with Canon and Nikon. I was expecting more like 20, 25% for Sony was my kind of, yeah. in my head, that's just kind of where I thought it would be. Yeah, absolutely. I expected the Sony number of 10% to be about right, you know, worldwide mm. maybe. But for this podcast, I expected to have more Sony listeners. And, mm. and you know, we always talk about the A7R II and the incredible image quality it has. And the the number we got on the A7R II was very low. In fact, mm -hmm. more people shoot the, whatever it is, four-year-old Sony A6000 than the Sony A7R II who listened to this show. 
It's because it's expensive. It's so <laughs> expensive. I was well, looking at it today and I was like, mm, too much. <laughs> yeah, too only, the, only the high rollers are shooting that for right now. It's expensive. You can get a secondhand A6000 for like 350 bucks oh, now. Man. And to be honest, it's still a very, very capable camera. Awesome deal. Yeah, that yeah. that that A6000 series, all of them, uh, they're yeah. just getting better and better. Uh, really capable cameras. Hmm. All right, let's jump to sensor size. Sensor size, we're at 47% full frame, 49% crop, and 4% micro four-thirds. Uh, one thing to be aware of as we look at this number is this is for all cameras. And so this this uh, one thing that's skewing this here is that we have Fuji that doesn't make full frame uh, or well it did but nobody shoots Sony full fr or nobody shoots Fuji full frame um, and so so that's skewed a little bit in essence we have more full frame shooters than we do crop sensor users and I'm excited to see this because this was there's no way this was possible three years ago when we started doing this survey because full frame right. was just super expensive and now it's really not the price has come way down on it but it's very comparable to a lot of crop sensors depending on which model you choose yeah, I definitely think a couple of years ago, the crop sensor number would have been much, much higher because that's just what people could afford. Mm -hmm. And the fact that half of the listenership shoots full frame, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I was I was very impressed and happy to see that. Not not necessarily because because full frame is better. I don't you know it just depends on the situation, but I'm happy to see that the price came down to the point that people were able to get what they wanted. That's pretty cool. Mm hmm. All right, now camera age. This one is the one that I was super interested in. So I asked everybody what model camera you shoot, and then I did the research and I looked through each model and when it was released. So, uh, so I I segmented a, to get a percentage of of what percent of the cameras were released in the last two years, what percent of people are shooting cameras today that are between two and four years old, four and six, and more than six years old. So here's the numbers. Um, eighteen percent of of podcast listeners are shooting a camera that was made in the last two years. Whoa, that blew my mind. Uh, yeah. That number again would have been much higher when we started this survey. Uh, people were buying them because they were changing so much. And boy, eighteen per only eighteen percent are shooting a camera in the last two years. That surprised me. Two to four year bracket, twenty five percent are shooting that. And a four to six year bracket, 43% of the podcast listeners are shooting a camera that's between four and six years old. And then cameras that are more than six years old, 14%. So a grand total, that's, let's see, 57% of podcast listeners are shooting a camera more than four years old, 57%. That's pretty crazy. I didn't expect that. It's because there's so many Canon shooters. <laughs> yeah, it's because that 5D3 was, it was yeah. such a strong camera for such a long time. And you can still show up on any set with a 5D3 and yeah. still be taken very seriously with that mm -hmm. camera. And there's a ton of 5D Mark II users as well. I, I oh, read yeah. somewhere that the 5D Mark II is still the most, the most widely used Canon camera of, of all of them. And that, that camera is 
quite old the, these days. So yeah, yeah, I think it's the cannon shooters that are kind of skewing the skewing that particular number. Yeah, yeah. and just to be clear, my surprise with this, uh, you know, I said it was surprised that 57% are shooting a camera more than four years old. What I'm not saying by that is, wow, everybody needs to go upgrade their camera. What I'm saying is <laughs> right. cameras have changed so little that a camera that's four years old is still very capable and people yeah. don't see uh, the reason to upgrade. And I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. It, which is a good thing because, you know, five, six years ago, it was cameras were changing so quickly that you would buy it and it would be obsolete in a year. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, they have a little bit more longevity, unlike the drones that we're all buying, where you buy one and the new one comes out a year later and your old one is worth like less than half of what you paid for it. Yep. Um, luckily, that's not happening with our digital cameras anymore. And that's a good thing yeah. because they'll actually last a little while. I think the the megapixel wars are are for the most part over. If you've got a camera that anything more than 20 megapixels is more than fine for 90% of the shooters out there. Um, And I think once people started realizing that, then uh, that was about five, six years ago, people bought all those cameras in the 20 megapixel range. And uh, you you don't need more pixels than that unless you're doing high-end commercial work where you're really punishing every single pixel. Yeah, and I also, think, oh, sorry. I was going to say, also, I, <laughs> <laughs> you have the floor, sir. Uh, I don't even remember what I was going to say. Oh, here's what it was. Every, about every two years, we're gaining one stop of light in what a camera can capture. Uh, you know, just, you know, our cutting edge, about every two years, we're getting one more stop. And, mm-hmm. and that's not, I mean, that's not a lot. I mean, two stops is pretty nice. It's, I mean, that's nice to have. But when you're two stops behind, can you still shoot the Milky Way? Yeah. Can you still shoot a wedding? Sure. Not a problem. And so, or, you know, you show up with a D800, a 5D Mark III, like you said, you're going to be more than fine for any shoot in the planet. That's still a very capable camera. Yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly what I was gonna say. No wonder we were we were racing to Tracy. I, you know, at first it was the megapixel war, and yeah. then and now it's kind of like the high ISO performance and dynamic range war, at least mm-hmm. among you know the full frame cameras out there. And now they're reaching a point where like you know how how much do you really need to blow out the night sky you know because we we can already overexpose stars and that's pretty crazy in itself um, so yeah that's that's about what I was gonna say too cool all right let's go to the most popular camera so this is the specific camera models uh, that were the most popular the most cam- popular camera among improved photography listeners is the Nikon D750. Now that's interesting for a couple reasons. Uh, one, Nikon is only 33% of, of listeners, but it's the most popular camera out there. We'll talk about that. The second most popular camera, like we talked about, 5D3. Third most popular camera is the Canon 6D. And the fourth most popular camera is the Canon 70 Mark II. Thoughts? That's... Wow. It's interesting. That means that the D750 is by far the most popular Nikon camera. Yes, it is. Like you said, said, it's only 33% of the vote and it's the most popular camera. Yeah, 30. If you shoot Nikon and you listen to this podcast, 30% of you are shooting one specific camera model, the Nikon D750. Hmm. It's a pretty strong all around. I mean, it, it, it marks, it hits, it hits all the marks in all the categories you really need. It's a high end camera. Um, 
I would have expected a little bit more of the the eight tens up there, but the mm-hmm. I mean personally, like if I was to switch to Nikon, the seven fifty is kind of what I have my eye on. Yeah, I mean it's got the tilty flippy screen. Of course mm-hmm. you're going to go with it. Thing. Yeah, of course you're going to use that. Yeah, I love that screen. The Nikon D750, I mean, does really well in low light. I was a little surprised that it didn't do slightly better with low light. Uh, but everything else, I mean, it's it's full frame, but it's pretty lightweight for a full frame. It's got the screen and everything. Uh, man, that's just a great camera. I shot the Nikon D800 and the D750 on my first trip to China. I carried both. That was dumb. It was way too heavy. Um, and and at the end of the, of the trip, I realized, the last four days i just shot with the d750 it was just lighter easier to use i just really enjoyed it yeah seems like a very well-rounded camera yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, the 5d mark IV got better adoption than i had anticipated i thought a lot of 5d mark iii users would be happy with their camera and not switch um Mm -hmm. but it the 5d mark IV got pretty good adoption a lot of people did move up to the 5d4 when it was announced that was another another surprise and i guarantee that a lot of those owners smile a lot because it is really uh, it's a really good camera and now that i've gotten used to it and acquainted with it i can't even stand using my 5d3 because the image quality is a huge difference oh wow and just all of the all the little little bent little things you know so like the extra button on the back and being able to toggle between one shot and one shot and ai servo with one of the buttons and just the little things really make a huge difference do you have an Uh, autofocus joystick on that camera how do you move the autofocus point is it the four-way selector or joystick it's got a joystick oh that's nice i like that and just little things like touch screen. You, do, you don't realize how much you use it oh, until yeah. you have one and you get acquainted with it. And then you use your old camera and you, you start hitting <laughs> the screen and it doesn't do anything. You get really used to stuff like that. And the Wi-Fi works really well. And I find myself using it all the time, especially for video. Um, it's really a good camera. Cool. Nice. Well, it was interesting to learn a little bit about everybody who's who's listening to the podcast and the different cameras you shoot. Uh, you know, everybody has their personal preference, which is why we see things spread out so much. And really, of course, any any very good photographer is going to make very good images with any one of these cameras. But it, it's interesting to see how things are changing and, and following the industry. I, I, I thought it was kind of fascinating to look at the results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I watched a video from Thomas Heaton this week about organizing photography gear. And I looked around at my office and it is a bomb. (laughs) It's a disaster in here. And so I wanted to see what you guys process is for organizing your photo gear, because my problem is I come home from a trip, my bag's packed, I'm tired, I got jet lag, Mm -hmm. I dump all my stuff in my office, it's everywhere. And then the next time I go on a trip, it's like, ah, where's my cable release? Last time I was out shooting, I was doing flash photography, so I didn't have the cable release. So where did I put it? Or this time I'm going out to do night photography, where's my headlamp? Or just all those different things. You don't need the same gear in your bag each time. 
And so I lose stuff and it gets to be a mess and packing for trips has been kind of stressful. So I wanted to see if you guys have a good system or what's working for you. Well, at least you take the time to actually empty your bag. <laughs> a lot of times I don't even do that. And then I'm looking for a lens and I'm like, well, which bag is it in? Because I shoot so many different types of photography. I've kind of got like my landscape photography bag, my portrait bag, my wedding bag. And then I need to find my 70 to 200. And I have that panic moment where, oh, I lost a $2,000 lens. That's not good. And <laughs> I have a lot of those kinds of moments. Um, but when I'm thinking clearly and I take the time to do it, I have like basically a desk that's dedicated to lenses and camera bodies. And then I have another desk that is like my recharging station. So I will empty my bag sometimes and uh, put all my lenses all together. And then I'll go and I will start getting batteries recharged and stuff. But I'm not nearly as organized as I should be. I'm hoping... Yeah. Steven is. <laughs> do you do you empty your bag and put everything away at the end of each shoot, or do you keep like a bag ready to go with like a configuration? Most of the time, I don't, mm. but I I really should because when I some of my gear like camera body and wide angle lens, um, I use for both portraits and for landscape photography. Some lenses I don't. Right. So like my seventy to three hundred, it's pretty much only good for landscape photography. So I leave that in my landscape photography bag. But there's lots of times when I'm looking for one of those lens that it, lenses that is a dual purpose and I can't find it. <laughs> and that's, that's <laughs> the hole in the system and it doesn't work very well. And like batteries and lens cloths and stuff like that, I have to kind of, you know, I'll keep a bag stocked, but I, I can't do that with batteries and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I try to keep, I mean, I'm, I'm, I really try to be good. As soon as I get back from a shoot, the first thing I do is, um, duplicate and download all my uh, all the all the uh, the cards because that's the most important thing. Um, and usually while I'm doing that, I try to at least take out all the dead batteries and start recharging them. Uh, if I'm really good, I'm also wiping down all of my gear at that point right there. Wow, that's impressive. I've I, never I, wiped my gear. Oh, <laughs> that's I mean, awesome. I, I mean, like just, congratulations. Just, like, uh, <laughs> just trying to take it, you know, just just at least a, a, a once over. Um, I used to empty the bag after every shoot and put it back. I have like a little, it's like a plastic, uh, you know, like you get from Kmart, just like a, it's like a, a drawer set. And I have a whole bunch of silica packets and then I would keep all my lenses in there. Yeah. But uh, just taking it out and putting it back in after every shoot was too much. So now I kind of keep, I have, I have two bags with two different configurations. One's kind of a, a more video centric bag. The other one's a little bit more uh, photo centric with more flash gear. And I just stuff it with silica packets just to make sure everything's right. Cause that's my biggest fear yes. is that fungus. I mean, cause the, these bags are, have foam in them. They can get moisture in them and I would ruin a, a lens and not even realize it till I'm on a job. That's actually a great tip. One of the things that I've taken to doing is every time I buy a piece of electronics or anything that comes with those little silica packets, yeah, yeah. I, keep, I keep them and I just stuff them into my camera bags mm -hmm. and then I'll have like a, a you know, a, some dry ones as well. And that way, when you're traveling to somewhere like China, you know, where everything is just humid and muggy and stuff. If you have a bunch of those in your camera bag, your camera bag's not going to get all moldy and nasty. Exactly. It'll be sucking up some of that stuff. But we're talking about organization. And as I look down at my desk, I have five CF cards, two SD cards, and three micro SD cards just laying loose on my desk. 
<laughs> so are these already ingested or they're they're, they're waiting to be ingested already ingested okay. i would be okay. in very big yeah trouble. i count three micro sds <laughs> two sds yep just that <laughs> so of all the things that i've ever talked about that i was not qualified to talk on this is probably at the top of this list because <laughs> i am not organized nearly enough well i this is the process that i'm working toward we'll see if it succeeds but my wife is is very good at, at organization and so she came into my office and started putting whipping me into shape so <laughs> what she did is she took all of the photo gear out of my office so i have a spot with just a computer where i can type on the website and do all that kind of stuff because most of the time i don't need camera gear in here unless i'm doing a tutorial or something and Mm -hmm. all of the camera gear goes to the garage where we have a huge tool chest like a you know big standing tool chest and we put all the photo gear in the tool chest so we have you know all those drawers and stuff uh, for lenses wipes cards whatever everything has its own drawer and then in the top uh you know on the top of the standing tool chest you guys you know what i'm talking about with the standing tool chest yeah Yeah. absolutely that's where i have all my batteries and i have a big bucket for you know just dump this after a trip it's probably probably needs to be charged all my chargers right there plugged in and uh and everything's set to go and then i have a a drawer for like international travel and that's where i have my passport my uh, travel adapters all that stuff and then i'm printing tomorrow i'm printing a little uh packing list for like international cold weather landscape night etc and then i can just go through the list and pull it from the drawers uh, this it sounds, sounds like great i hope board. it works <laughs> this, this sounds like a Jason Bourne uh, uh, kit where you go in there, you're like, all right, international, I need this passport. All right, I'm good. Yeah. yeah so Swiss France for this. I can just pick picture the packing montage, you know, the t- drawers coming out <laughs> and grabbing and reaching in stuff and making it all action packed. That it sounds efficient, although... You've officially graduated from taking up one entire room to now taking up one and a half <laughs> rooms. <laughs> uh, that's true. Uh, that is true. And I, I literally spent five hours today just going through my cords and organizing them. I had like so many HDMI cords and just every imaginable cord, computer cord you could have from doing all the video stuff that it took forever to just unmess them, get them out of that mess and get them all organized. Uh, I'm hoping it's going to stay. And then I forgot to say, I have another um, like a, cabinet type thing in the in the garage that's just the dump spot so when i get home from a trip i just chuck my bag in there and i can you know go not be working for a while and then mm-hmm. i can go back uh, go back to the dump spot and i can clear everything out etc that that's how you know things have gotten really bad is when you have to mark off half of an entire day for organizing cords oh man it, it was crazy <laughs> oh, that man. was crazy well, anyway, that's uh, that's what I'm... Oh, and then the other thing that I realized that was a problem for organizing uh, my gear is I used to have everything kind of in baskets and, and like buckets. 
And the problem with that was I had too big of buckets. And so when you're looking for an HDMI cord, you got to rifle through all of the video cords to find it. Or mm. you're, you know, you're looking for uh, your cable release. I say the cable release because that's always the one I lose. Uh, mm. And, you know, it, it's in your just like photography accessories bucket. And there's so many things in there. You got to rifle all through them. So anyway, that's my new process. We're going to see how it goes. But uh, there's hope for me. <laughs> Another thing I use for for cables and like things that I need to carry around are, are those griddits. Have you ever seen those? What's that? It's called it's called a, a griddit. In fact, I'll make that my doodad. It's a it's a it's a it's like a little it's a flat thing and it's got a whole bunch of elastic bands on it, both horizontal and vertical. And you can slip things in there, and it just kind of keeps everything organized on one little tablet almost. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so I'm looking at this on Amazon. It's like a, a giant hot pad uh, right, exactly. with kind of webbing strips on it. And you can slip a chapstick, a phone, a pen, whatever. <laughs> it has an iPod shuffle um, in, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> these, in these uh, little webbing strips. So what, what would you use that for? Um, I use it primarily. I, I keep my, I mean, I have one that's in my kind of my go bag. I keep a, a pen, a highlighter, um, a uh, micro USB, uh, uh, an iPhone lightning charger, a little mini plug, uh, a uh, tiny flashlight, and then a laser pointer. And that's kind of, oh, and a little mini SD card reader. And that's kind of in my bag with me wherever I go. So wherever I am, I can usually save myself if I get into trouble. Huh, that's pretty cool. Very cool. Well, we are going to talk a little bit more about some printing options. Nick's been trying some new things. But before we do that, we want to take a second and thank Squarespace for supporting this podcast. Squarespace has been a great sponsor of the podcast for a long time. Whatever your next big idea or your project is, I want you to consider what a website could do for you. You can create an eye-catching online, um, an online universe, universe for whatever your, it is that your project is. If you want to start selling stock photography or selling prints, or you just want to show your portfolio or start a blog, whatever else you, you want to do online, Squarespace, <coughs> Squarespace can help you to meet your needs. Plus, with Squarespace's award-winning templates, creating a beautiful website is a simple and intuitive process. You can add and arrange your content and features with the click of a mouse. Nothing to install, no patches, no upgrades. It does everything for you. And when there is a problem, they have 24-7 customer support. You can think of them as your own IT department. So make your next move and start your free trial at squarespace.com today. Enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's IMPROVE, I-M-P-R-O-V-E at squarespace.com. All right, Nick, you've been doing some printing on some different styles. What what uh, have you, what's been working for you? <clears throat> so in the past, I've always used either metal or canvas. Those have kind of been my two go-tos just because they come ready to hang. I don't have to deal with like matting and framing. And I always feel like a matted framed print just kind of looks too old school, I guess. It doesn't look very modern. It just looks like old photography. Um, so I've always used metal and canvas. And I've recently started printing on acrylic more. And it is by far my new favorite medium. It, if I'm printing for me or if I'm printing with an unlimited budget for something, acrylic just looks the best to me. Um, so if you've never seen an acrylic print, basically it's a, <clears throat> it's a, 
It's a print that has plexiglass on the front of it between the print and what you're viewing. And you, when you're looking straight at it, it doesn't come across hazy. Like I was afraid it might, you know, like you're looking through something. It's very, it's very high definition, very clear, but it also just has this sense of depth to it that you just don't get with like a metal print. Because, you know, as you kind of move around, it, it just has this sense of depth. And so I've been printing more on it and I absolutely love it. It's kind of expensive. <laughs> I don't know if um, anybody's ever ordered an acrylic print. But I have and it hurt the wallet. Yes, it does. I So behind me, if we were running video, which uh, we are not, but it, I have a pair of 20 inch by 30 inch um, acrylic prints, which I got from Bay Photo. And they are the uh, quarter inch thick acrylic, which is, I think, the thickest or it's pretty close to the thickest. Maybe it's medium. Um, and a 20 by 30 inch acrylic print probably weighs like at least 10 pounds. It is very herky and very heavy because that no. is a big chunk of plastic. And because of that, you you have to like actually take your time that you can't just hang it on a nail. You know, you have to, it actually comes with a board that you um, screw into the wall and then it hangs on the board. Um, but it does come ready to hang and it's just got this sense of quality. But I was going to, the price of a 20 by 30, I think I was paying about 250 bucks my price, my cost. Mm -hmm. uh, per one of those. So, you know, I would be looking to sell it for in the $500 range, which is quite a bit for only a 20 by 30. Mm -hmm. um, but man, the quality is just so, so excellent on those. And anytime that I'm going to be doing a, a some kind of show where, you know, I want my work to be displayed in the best way possible, I'm going to be going with acrylic from now on. Have you guys uh, tried, like Jim, you've, uh, you've done it. Who did you go through for your acrylic prints? Uh, the one that I printed large was Artisan HD. Um, mm -hmm. When you go to their website, it looks like it's from the 1990s, but they, they do a really good job. Uh, they have they do a good job. It, it was expensive, but they, they worked with me and they, they did a very nice job. I have a big print of a waterfall from the Columbia River Gorge up. Um, cool. and, and so I was really happy with that. Another one that I wanted to mention, uh, used to be a, a, an advertiser. I, I think they advertise pretty much every December is when they come on. Um, but I have a number of prints from fracture it's FractureMe.com, And mm -hmm. I just wanted to say outside of an ad that they really do make really beautiful prints. Um, and they, they don't print giant. They, they do have I'm just looking at it right now. I want to say it's a 20 by 30. It looks like a 20 by 30 to me. Um, and it's not acrylic. It's printed directly on glass. But yeah. really, it looks it looks very similar to an acrylic. It's, it's pretty much the same thing in terms of the effect that it gives the viewer. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another one to check out. They're less expensive, but they don't do any gigantic ones. 20 by 30, <laughs> yeah. I think, is the max. So FractureMe.com. And 20 by 30 is actually a pretty good size. Yeah. I feel like larger than that, you start getting into really big prices for one. And any smaller than that, it's just not, it's not very impactful on the wall. It's like something you have to walk up to to look at. Mm. Uh, but 20 by 30, you can kind of enjoy from a, at least a little bit of a distance. Um, yeah, but as when when I do print the really large format stuff, typically I've been doing that on canvas because it's cheaper canvas. Yeah, it's cheaper for one, 
And, you know, if it's large enough, you're not viewing it close up. So you don't notice that kind of loss of detail that you get when printing it on canvas. Um, so that's always been my go-to for the really large format stuff. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say just like your experience has been, Nick, when you look at an acrylic print and next to it, you look at a paper print or a, or a canvas gallery wrap, man, the other two just look sad. Acrylic prints are just beautiful, especially, but you got to put it in the right place. I, when I first put it up on the wall, mm, didn't look so great. And then I moved it to a spot where there was a light shining onto the glass whoa, I mean, night and day difference with yes. those because you really want that light pouring in and reflecting out and it just, mm. everything looks super saturated and ah, it's just really cool. Yeah, one of the things that I've always not loved about metal prints is just how reflective they are. They, they can be like a mirror sometimes. Like if there's any kind of light source in the room that is at, you know, reflecting off of it, it can, you have to move around to even see the print. Um, Acrylic I've found to not be too reflective and through Bay photo, they have a couple different, um, uh, I guess reflection, what, what, what is it? Finish options. So uh, one is standard and then they have like a matte finish. Um, I've just tried standard so far, but with matte, you can actually get like a matte finish or with acrylic, you can get a matte finish and it's not quite as reflective for those kind of lighting situations. This type of print is what Peter Lick does. If you have seen a Peter Lick gallery, uh, they're so impressive. I, I mean, the, the photos are, are very good, of course. But what's impressive to me is the way that those photos are presented is just top notch. Mm-hmm. You, you can't make a better print than a Peter Lick print. I mean, they are just top notch. And it is printed on Fuji Flex Media, and then it's it's laminated with quarter inch plexiglass on top, which we're calling acrylic, but it's plexiglass essentially. Um, mm-hmm. That it's it's laminated onto it, and then he always frames his prints, uh, which I've never framed a an acrylic. But uh, mostly because it's just too expensive once you've already paid for an acrylic. But right. man, those prints he makes. And he always has multiple lights shining down onto it. Ah, oh, They just look so good. You could you could take the worst photo ever. And if you print it like that, it's going to look good. Yeah. And especially if you take the time to present it like that, you know, having a nice little splash of light in a very dark room and then have light reflecting on, on your prints. When you take the time to present stuff like that, it just gives a completely different sense of quality to the photo. Mm -hmm. And if you look at, and I actually posted about this, I probably shouldn't have, it was a jerk move, but um, (laughs) a while ago, like when you look at a Peter Lick photo on Facebook, you're like, nah, he's all right, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd put him in the level five category or whatever, you know, like <laughs> he's, but when you see it presented like that, that's, that's where that sense of quality comes from. And just because he takes the time to really present it in a very, very nice way. And I think we can all learn from that. All of us that have any kind of like little gallery showing or whatever is if you do have the opportunity to, uh, put your work on a wall, take the time to like, you know, do something, you know, set it up well. And if you can put a little splash light or something on it, um, even they make those that will actually clip to the top of the photo and then like kind of bend over and they're just like these little led things. Yeah. Little art lights. Yeah. yeah. Anything like that. It just gives a perceived value and that can really help sell a photo. 
totally, totally agree. Yeah, I I need to print more. I I used to print quite a bit, but I haven't in a little bit. And uh, well, I'm I'm planning on getting out and shooting a lot this spring. I'm trying to put some things, some plans together, and uh, so I I think I need to print after that just to put some new art on my wall. I get tired of yeah. seeing my own photos after a while. Yeah, for sure. Well, a couple announcements before we get to the doodads of the week. Uh, first, an update on really good photo spots. Man, I haven't slept in weeks. <laughs> I I have worked so hard on this thing uh, as we're coming down to the wire. I mean, it's been a years-long project. I've never done anything this big in my life. Um, but it, it is coming down to the wire. I can definitely commit to a release in the month of May, which week we're, we're yet to see. We're still working through a couple bugs with the login system, which should be like the easiest part of it. Uh, but the login system we're having some issues with and I want to make sure it's flawless before launch. I do not want to go through all this work and send out something half-baked. So that's the the status of, of really good photo spots. I've been doing a ton of spot checking um, of just, you know, typing in St. Louis, Pittsburgh, uh, you know, Perth, Australia, just all over the world and just seeing, you know, what what's the experience everybody's going to have when they open the app and they just click what's near me. And I'm, I'm very proud of what what we have for you in terms of the data is really good. Um, there are, have been a ton of different photo locations app and, and I can say confidently in terms of the data, we, we have, we have the best data, uh, of, of the options that have, that have been out there. I'm really mm. wanting to get through these last little technical things and, and, uh, I am excited to get it to you. I know I've been getting emails constantly saying, is it out yet? Uh, but, but soon we're going to be there. All right. Oh, oh, and one other thing. Previously, I had talked about doing a storm chasing um, meetup. I had to put those plans on the back burner. And the reason is that three storm chasers died last week um, chasing a storm. And I thought, yeah, this isn't smart, man. <laughs> it's not smart to invite others in a place that I, I really know nothing about it. And so I'm hoping to go this spring. I want to learn more and understand more. And hopefully next year we can do a trip. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, it, it would be irresponsible for me to. I, I don't know anything about it. The, the lawyer inside of you thought to yourself, eh, maybe this isn't as good of an idea as it sounded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have to back off that. So I am planning to do more meetups for sure. Uh, this spring, I'm so f just busy with really good photo spots and I need to work on some personal work. I, I need to see the next level in my photography. I've been a little bit of a, at a plateau and so I'm, I'm kind of focusing on personal work a little bit. And then, you know, this fall, later on in the summer, I definitely want to do lots of meetups and, and plenty more. All right, doodads of the week. I'm going to recommend the CQR men's tactical pants. Uh, I've I've mentioned before that I wear tactical pants when I go out and do really any kind of photography, but especially landscape. They're tough. They're water resistant. You can slip in little knee pads and has tons of pockets and stuff for when you're traveling. Uh, but the 511 ones are kind of expensive. And so there's a new brand called CQR that popped up on Amazon that are basically 511 knockoffs. And I bought a couple and they're really, really good. Uh, so they're 25 bucks and they're very well-made uh, tactical pants. One thing that I don't know is if you can slip the knee pad in there. I forgot to check when I got it, uh, when I was wearing them last time, but uh, been happy with those. So check them out. Very cool. Mm. My doodad this week is the Anja bag from F-Stop. 
So I used to use the MindShift bag from, uh, from what is it? MindShift, uh, who makes that? Think Tank. Rotation 180. Yeah. Rotation 180. And I used to use that and I just got tired of how much of a pain it was to get the gear, like when you're not wearing it, to get the gear out of that bottom pocket. So I finally bit the bullet and I bought an F-stop bag and two months later, it finally shows up (laughs) and I've been using it for probably two months now. Um, And I love it. It's It's a very comfortable bag when you're hiking with it. It's got interchangeable ICUs. So like if you don't need a bunch of camera gear that day, you can put a smaller ICU in, put your camera gear in and then have room for like multiple coats and lunches and whatever else. Um, The outside of the bag itself is very weather resistant. It's got waterproof zippers and the material itself is very, very water resistant. So it doesn't even come with a rain sleeve because you kind of don't even need one with it. And it's got a place for um, a hydration bladder. I'm really liking it. It seems like a really solid bag, and I feel good about um, referring it if you can put up with the wait times associated with anything F-stop. Um, when you order stuff, it takes forever to get your stuff. But when it finally does show up, it seems to be really good quality. So the Anja bag from F-stop is mine. Awesome. Nice. I, I'm convinced on that. I watched your YouTube video on it and I've had the same experience with the Rotation 180. I yeah. love this bag. It's like the perfect size and everything. I've really enjoyed it. But getting the gear out when it's when uh, when you're not wearing it is kind of a pain. You got to kind of slip it, it out in that bottom compartment. And so I watched your review of this and I thought, hmm, I, that, that's just what the doctor ordered. I think that's just what I'm looking for. And, and I like that it's it does fit official carry on sizing. That's essential. That's a deal breaker for me if a, cam, if a bag doesn't. So exactly. uh, you got me convinced on that. And I've flown with bags that were technically larger than the carry-on recommended, but because they're a little bit squishy, you can kind of get away with it. Um, But I just, I wanted to get something that even when it's completely jam-packed, it's going to fit because there's nothing more stressful than going onto an airplane and not knowing for sure if your bag is going to fit or if somebody's going to be like, yes, or you're going to have to check that bag. And And then I have to, you know get kicked off like the guy from united (laughs) that video was brutal man no kidding that was brutal dude that would totally be me if they tried to make me check my camera back (laughs) that would be me i'd be beating them off with a really right down the aisle i I mean like i i get that you know that the airline needs to you know needed needed to make space or that people can't be belligerent need to whatever i get that they had the legal right to remove somebody from their flight but holy cow. I mean, one, the use of force, but two, they only went up to $800 that they offered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, let's see, do we beat up one of our customers or <laughs> offer a thousand? Beat up a customer. Yeah, yeah let's do this. Right. And of course they didn't. They called the police, but still they called the police on somebody and what's the option, right? And so exactly. it's, man. And, and in- the worst thing is they were making the room not for customers, but for their own employees and the flight was only four hours. Hello, Mm -hmm. make your employees drive four hours instead of beating up a customer. It's nuts, (laughs) man. Right, exactly. And it turns out $1,000 or even $1,500 would have been much cheaper than what they ended up losing because of all the, you know, all of the future. Oh, their stock prices just went, it just tanked. It's like um, two thousand dollars or one point four billion. Hmm. Right. What should you, I lose? If you keep raising the price, someone is going to jump on that offer to get to get bumped. Um, yeah, that was just handled wrong across yeah. the board. 
I feel guilty because I just brought up like a topical news event in my doodad. <laughs> well, it can withstand. Um, can you be dragged by the bag? Like that would be pretty that's, that's yeah, exactly. endorsement if you can wear it and also be dragged off of the yeah. plane. Yeah, it comes with a face protector in case you get kicked off an airplane. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, on that note, my doodad... <laughs> Uh, is a gridit, as we mentioned earlier. It's, I mean, it's basically just a hardened piece of of cardboard, and it's wrapped in uh, some elastic webbing, and it has multiple configurations. So it's not like pen slots, so where you can only put in pens. You can move things around in different uh, configurations. I have one. I have one in my go bag. I have one in my camera bag. Um, it's really good for organizing cables and pens and loose things. If you if you've ever opened up your your time, everyone's got like a little pouch in their camera bag where they just stuff stuff that doesn't go anywhere else and you look through it and you're like oh, I can never find anything in this thing mm. if you've ever said that to yourself uh, do yourself a favor get a grid it you pull it out everything is right there it's a flat panel everything's organized and you can configure it any way you want to Boom! I'm going to look into that it's very cool cool uh, do you guys have any workshops or anything you want to to uh, invite people to to hang so, out with you yeah I have Let's see. What do I have left? I have a couple spots on the Kauai workshop. That's where uh, Majid, Benazadigan, and myself, we are taking eight lucky people to Hawaii in December, which is a really tough sell. Nobody wants to go to Hawaii when the weather is cold because um, it's going to be like, you know, a, a frigid 75 degrees. <clears throat> but uh, so we got a few spots left on that tour. That's going to be in December of 2017. And I think that's all the workshop spots I have left. I, both Iceland's are, are sold out. Uh, all three Palouse are sold out. Oregon coast is sold out. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Nice. I, as I've been doing research for the really good photo spots app, there have been some places that I've kind of fallen in love with because I've looked at so many locations and I've got to say Kauai is one of them. As I, as I started plotting, it's like Kauai is just one giant photo spot. (laughs) Like (laughs) it's basically just, you know, flip your hand around a map and point and you got a good photo spot there. It's just full on the app of locations. A couple others that I just wanted to mention that I loved Tasmania holy cow there are some insane waterfalls in tasmania just uh i mean crazy beautiful in fact i thought man i'm booking a flight this looks incredible and then i realized it was 34 hours on a plane to get there from idaho and i was like never mind too far no wonder nobody goes there um switzerland Oh man, stunning! The oh man, just the the Alps and the the everything, all the scenery in Switzerland is beautiful. Of course, Iceland uh, and the Netherlands. Man, I've been seeing photos of windmills and especially some night photos of windmills. Gosh, they look cool. I'd I've loved to do some photography uh, um, in Europe and capturing some windmills. So. Some places I'm in love with. Yeah, in Switzerland also there's a there's a town uh, called Interlaken, and, and there's a very large American expatriate community up there. Um, and you can, you're you're right in the mountains. You can go uh, you can go uh, paragliding down the mountains, and mm. everyone there speaks English. It's a very very cool little town. That's cool. Very cool. Well, guys, thanks for taking the time to be in on the podcast and sharing your knowledge and experience with everybody. Listeners, I really appreciate your support with everything that Improved Photography is doing. Uh, we're, we're all working really hard for you to, uh, you know, just to 
keep you motivated and inspired and and into this hobby of photography. And so I hope you're enjoying all the res- enjoying all the resources we have for you. I've been working a lot more on improvephotography.com and getting tons of articles out there, as well as we are amazing columnists on there. So do make improvephotography.com one of your daily stops on the web browser. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you in another seven days.